identity. We don't want to just come to church and go, I came, I sat, I smiled, I shook a few hands, I drank a coffee or a tea at the end, and then I left exactly the same as I arrived. We want to understand what the Word of God, the Bible, teaches us so that we can continue to grow and to develop into the people that God created us to be. We have a challenge to this entire series, which we're going through the book of Colossians. Through the school holiday periods of this year, 2023, we're going to look at the book of Colossians with this in mind. We want to discover our identity is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And through this series, we're bringing out the fact that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a new identity that is wonderful news to receive you have no longer the past of who you used to be but now you are a new creation in christ let me give you a little bit of the series outline this is the third message in the series it's already the third sunday of 2023 already begin with the apostle paul writing to a church in a real place called Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. It's a lesser city. It's a smaller city. Up the road, about 160 kilometers, is the big city of Ephesus, and that's where the, the, the big hub was. But then you had some smaller communities around them, and one of them was Colossae. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, wrote to people that he never personally met. He knew them by reputation because he'd spent almost three years in Ephesus. And he started a church and he helped people grow and to develop. And some people had come from Colossae into Ephesus, come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and then gone back to their home and started a church. And now Paul has received word through one of the pastors that there's some issues and problems going on inside the church. So he writes this letter to address them. And he says to them, essentially, I don't know you, but I've heard about you. You have a wonderful reputation, a reputation of faith. You have a reputation of love and you have a reputation of hope. And that was our first message, that the fact that they had a reputation. And that reputation caused the Apostle Paul to respond in prayer. And he says, every single time I think about you, I pray for you. And he says, I pray that you continue to grow in your knowledge and in your understanding. And you no longer live in the flesh, but now you're living in the, the spirit. And you're now you're acting differently, not to earn your salvation, but because of your salvation. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm praying for you. And then he continues on, which we're going to look at this morning in two parts. The first part will be this week, and then next week we'll continue on in the second part. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. And he says, you have a reputation. I'm responding in prayer. And now I want to remind you of the truth of Jesus Christ. And the city of Colossae was a textile hub. People would travel through on their way to the big city of Ephesus. But as they would travel through, they would have the local industry. And one of the local industries of Colossae, they would produce a wool cloth that was red in nature, like a, a dark red cloth. 
As I was thinking through that, the song came to my mind, the old hymn, Jesus Paid It All, which the, the chorus of that song says this, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We have two parts in this message of being a new creation. First of all, it is the first part, which is today, which is Jesus paid it all. And then next week, which I would encourage you, please come back next week, is that Jesus made it all. It rhymes, so that's a bonus, but that's, that was just a happy coincidence. In the book of Colossians, chapter number one, do you have your Bibles? You can follow along inside your Bibles. If not, it will be on the screen for you to follow as well. We're going to read verses 13 through 17. It says this, This is talking about Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's what we're talking about this week. And then next week, we're going to talk about the following verses. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him in all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or things that were created through him. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Every week we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And this week our principle is in Christ and through Christ, I am a new creation. And I want you to mull that over because we like things that are new. I want to be a new creation. And naturally, like this church in Colossae, they had a lot of things that were distracting them. They had the the temptation to follow the Jewish law and to trust in that. They also had the temptation to go and follow the Greek customs and the Greek philosophies. And the Gnosticism was a temptation for them. And they could say, I want to become a new creation in my works. I can become a new creation in my philosophy or in my knowledge. But here we find it in and through Jesus Christ that we become a new creation. Second Corinthians chapter number five, verse 17 famously says, if anyone is in Christ, gives us a wonderful promise. He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and he says, Behold, the new has come. Why is that so important for you and for me? Why is it so important? Because if we get the who of Jesus wrong, we are people that are hopeless and without hope and without any future apart from Jesus Christ. The question that we often are asked is, do you believe in Jesus? And that's not a bad question, but it's an incomplete question. It's a common question, do you believe in Jesus? And if you're from a Spanish culture or from Mexico, the people will say, I believe in Jesus because they named their children Jesus. And you can call, I know Jesus, and I know Jesus. Or you can say, I know there's a historic figure named Jesus. But we actually must recognize that 
Jesus and who really genuinely Jesus is. Because Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter number 24, verses 4 and 5. He says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. We have to be careful and make sure we know who is Jesus that we're believing in. The real question is, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Is Jesus really who he says he is? C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia series and he wrote a number of books, was a, a latecomer to Christ. He came to know Christ as, as his Savior in his 30s. And in 1952, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity in regards to the process that ultimately brought him to Jesus Christ. And one of the philosophies that he, that he brought out there, which is he popularized, but other people actually began, is the fact of this. If Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that changes absolutely everything. Because if Jesus Christ claims to be God, claims to be the creator, claims to be the savior, he's either a liar or he's absolutely crazy as a lunatic or it's true and he is Lord. And as we think through that process, that helped me incredibly in rationalizing the, the, the thought of, Jesus Christ really is God. He really is the creator of the universe. He really is the savior of the world. And when we personalize that, he really is my savior. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's my Lord. When we personalize that, we can personalize and say, I believe that Jesus is my savior. I believe that he is my creator. The reason why it's important to get these things foundationally true. And I believe the Apostle Paul was writing to people in Colossae who knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. So he wasn't writing to them to convince them to become saved, although we can certainly find that in these passages. What we actually see is he's reminding them of what they already know. Because when we come under conflict, when you come under pressure, do you find yourself answering incorrectly because you don't know what to say? If you have a bunch of things happening at once, you don't know what to do. And as I was thinking through that, I was thinking how bad I would do if I ever got into family feud. And the family feud, particularly at the end when you do the fast money, and you have 15 or 20 seconds to answer five questions really quick. And when you're given these questions, you answer really poorly. I would answer very poorly. And I found someone else that did probably worse than I did, so I should I put a video. Name an animal with three letters in his name. Frog. Something found in a refrigerator. Milk. A brand of gasoline. Regular. Something that comes with a summer storm. Snow. A sport with an all-star game. Uh, Turn around. You may never be up here again. Let's take a look. Name an animal with three letters in its name. You said frog. Our survey said zero. Two people would have to say that. Something that comes with a summer storm. You gave me the answer. Snow. Our survey said... Go on back there. 
Here's Bob. I'm going to ask you the same questions I asked the other Bob. You cannot and you do not want to duplicate his answers. 20 seconds on the clock, please. Name an animal with three letters in its name. Alligator. Please watch us tomorrow and see if he has the nerve to show up again, will you? We love you. We'll see you here on the Family Field. I understand exactly what he's going through because I would answer the same way because under pressure, you know the answer when it's all calm and easy and you have plenty of time to think about it. You say, I know Jesus is God. I know Jesus is my savior. I believe it completely. But under pressure, we go, ah, alligator. The book of John, chapter number 14, verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. We know that, but when we get under pressure, we need to be able to live that out. So we need to constantly be reminded of these things so that when we come under pressure, it's just the natural response is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We don't have to think about it. It's true. It's in depth within us. It's a reaction rather than a conscious response because it becomes so natural and, and real for us. Jesus says, no one is able to come to the Father except through me. Let's go back to that passage in Colossians chapter number one, verses 13 and 14. If you notice, it is one sentence. It's a long sentence, but it's one sentence. The Apostle Paul lays out a theology called soteriology, which is the study of salvation. And as he lays this out, he gives us four different areas of our salvation that we need to be reminded of. And you may respond how I naturally respond is, I know this already. And you know what? We probably do. But we need to be constantly rehearsing these things in our mind so that when we are under pressure, we go back to what is true as opposed to our, our feelings. It says here, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Theologians write volumes of books to try to describe what the Apostle Paul says in a few words. So let's break this down in as few words as possible, how we can live this out and be reminded of it. First of all, we need to be reminded that Jesus paid it all. And our first point is to be rescues us from darkness. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Now that rolls off my tongue really easily. And when you are not personally in a crisis and you read something in the newspaper and you read about something that happened, you go, well, that's too bad. And you may have a little bit of empathy, but you don't feel the emotion behind it. When you recognize, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, this is talking about you. You've been delivered or you've been rescued from darkness. This is literally a life or death situation this is an eternal destination right right here and when you understand how close you are or close you were to eternal separation from god it gives us a sense of sobriety it stops us and makes us think about god what are you doing here 
What have you done? And it gives us a great deal of gratitude. This man named Rory Allen, September of last year, tried to do some base jumping unsuccessfully. Three, two, one. tree in a base jumping harness and it's just got windy and I'm getting blown around. If the tree breaks or my canopy breaks, I'm definitely going to break my back and some legs. So. It's typical Australian understatement. <laughs> he sat there for two hours dangling before the helicopter came and rescued him and now he has a GoFundMe page to try to pay off his debt. When you recognize how close you were and you recognize the danger that you've been saved from, it gives you some sobriety and it wakes you up a little bit and it makes you stop and think, God, thank you for protecting me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me from a Christless eternity. It says in Acts chapter number 26, this is Jesus talking through the Apostle Paul, and he says, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That place that it talks about there is the place of our blessed hope, that eternity in heaven that we've been placed with, our in eternal inheritance. We've also been delivered from the darkness in regards to the authority of Satan in our life. We are no longer under the authority of, of Satan. It says that the domain of darkness, if you look up that word, it literally means the power and authority or jurisdiction. We're no longer underneath the jurisdiction of Satan. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, we've been set free. In the book of Colossians, chapter number 2, which is the next chapter after what we're reading today, in verse number 15, it says, He disarmed the rulers, that's Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. You imagine that base jumper sitting there on the side of the mountain, dangling by a little tree, swinging back and forth. The rescuers arrive, the lights and the sirens, they come rushing through on the bottom of the mountain, and they stop there, and they look up at them and go, okay, we're here now, now work it out yourself. That's ridiculous. And they wouldn't stand there and go, okay, just, just, just try to climb down all by yourself, we're here now. When Jesus came to rescue us, he didn't come and rescue us and say, okay, go work out your salvation all by yourself. He didn't say, come along, okay, I'm here now, work it out all by yourself because you're good enough and you're strong enough. He says, I'm going to come and do what only I can do. I'm going to rescue you from darkness. I'm going to take you from a Christless eternity to a Christ-filled eternity. I'm going to take you from the authority of Satan and the darkness of Satan to the light of, of the glory of, of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So the first of all, we need to be reminded that Jesus paid it all. 
because he rescues us from darkness. The second thing that he reminds us of is he moves us. He doesn't say, okay, I found you. I've rescued you. Now you can go and work out life for yourself and all by yourself. He says he moves us to the kingdom. That is, he transfers us, as it says in verse number 13, to the kingdom of his beloved son. He removes us from the danger and the punishment of sin. That is the darkness. And he moves us toward Jesus' light. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 2, verse 9, he talks about a marvelous light. We sing a worship song called Marvelous Light, which is a really fun, upbeat song, and it would be impossible to sing this in a boring way because it talks about something wonderful that happens in our life. And it says, but you are a chosen race. I want you to try to personalize this. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it says that we've been brought into, as it says in Colossians 1.13, it says that we have been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. The Bible doesn't use words just to fill in the pages. There's no words in the Bible that says, you know what, I really need to fill up the rest of this parchment, so I'm just going to use lots of big, long words to fill it up. There's words that are there specifically to help us understand what is true. And it says there, beloved. God didn't send to us, to this earth, you know, just you know, any old son. I mean, granted, if your children are in the room with you, you look at them and you say, I love you all the same. And that's true. My children, I love you all the same. But God said, I'm going to send my beloved son, the one that I love. In, in the, both in Jesus' baptism and also in Jesus' transfiguration, the book of Matthew in chapter number 3 and also in chapter number 17 records the words of God. And he says the same thing twice. He says this, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We are reminded of the price that God himself paid in order for you and I to be saved. We need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that God sent his very best. He sent himself. God brings us out of darkness and transfers us and moves us towards the light of Jesus Christ. This week, we need to be reminded of that as we live in a very dark world, as we look around and the influences around us, and we recognize that we have been rescued and we've been moved into the kingdom of his light. But the, the third point is that we are released from punishment. We're released from the bondage and punishment of sin. It says that in whom we have redemption, verse number 14. Remember, it goes right back to in Christ and through Christ, I am a new creation. That's our principle for today. And it says that in whom we have redemption. That word redemption is a word that literally means a ransom that is paid in full. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment in regards to how much you would pay 
for someone that you loved. And God, the creator of the universe, and this is, this is not an ego boost thing for you and I. This is the opposite. He doesn't need us. But he wants us, and he's chosen to create us. And he says, I'm going to choose to create mankind, and if we want to make that smaller, make me as an individual, knowing that he was going to need to send his beloved son to earth to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. And God knew in his foreknowledge everything that was going to take place, your greatest triumph and your worst mistake, your deepest and darkest mistake and your great deepest and darkest sin. And God still says, I'm going to choose to create you. And I'm going to choose to to send my son to earth to die on a cross and rise from the dead so you and I can have redemption. Satan knows that we are guilty. And he's constantly reminding you and me of our faults and our failures. It is not God who comes along and reminds you of your your forgiven sin and your, your inabilities. And he reminds us often, Satan reminds us often of our guilt. But Jesus has paid our ransom in full through the death and his blood on the cross. Jesus Christ came and replaced the Jewish sacrificial system. And I'm grateful for that because, I mean, just in a practical sense, I have a weak stomach. And if we had to look at all the blood all the time and we had to think about all the sacrifices and bring our, our lamb to be sacrificed the, the way the Jewish system was, that, that's just a very, that, that's a hard system to, to live through. And it, we're given a wonderful age of grace where we don't have to do that any longer because Jesus Christ came along and fulfilled, the Bible says, the law and the prophets. So we no longer have to sacrifice sheep any longer. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 9, verses 11 and 12, because Jesus' blood replaced the sacrificial system. And it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things we have, he entered once into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The Jewish sacrificial system was every year they would have the Day of Atonement and they would have the, 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 the goats brought up and they would have a, all the, the sheep that brought out and they would have a particular goat that they would bring And that would be the picture of the covering of their sins for the year. And they would take the blood every day. They would go into the holy place. And they would have incense that they would burn. They would have various rituals. And if you can imagine, the the temple itself was not that big of a room. Probably not dissimilar to the size of this auditorium. And the front part was the daily, the holy place. And they would go, the priests would go in there and they would do the rituals. But once a year, they would go past a a big curtain into the Holy of Holies. And they would take that blood during the Passover time and they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, which would represent the covering of the blood, the covering of the sins of the people for one more year. And it was incredibly ceremonial and they would do everything exactly the way they were supposed to do it at exactly the right timing. And God took that very seriously. And when Jesus Christ comes, comes along, he says, my blood covers it all so you don't have to do that ever again. 
the theologian Albert Barnes says this, talking about our eternal redemption. It will continue forever. It is not a temporary deliverance, leaving the Redeemer in danger of falling into sin and ruin, but makes salvation secure, and its effects extend through eternity. We've been declared not guilty by the redemption of Jesus Christ. And now we get to live in his freedom and his forgiveness. And our final point that the the Apostle Paul brings out here to remind us, he reminds us that Jesus paid it all. He rescues, he moves, he releases, and finally he forgives. It says in verse number 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, redemption and forgiveness go hand in hand. You can't have redemption and say, you're redeemed, but you're not forgiven. Or you can't say, I'm forgiven without a payment being paid. So the two go hand in hand. Forgiveness literally means the canceling of a debt or a sending away, which I kind of like the thought of sending away our debt. He takes our debt and he sends it away. It's gone. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 1, verses 7 and 8 says, In him, once again, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, in which he lavished upon us. If you came to my house, I will attempt to be a good host. But invariably, you probably said something similar to what I've said. When you invite someone in and you say, it's a hot day outside, would you like a cool drink? And you go to your fridge and you open it up and you start naming off all the things that you have. But invariably, what you do is you say, I'm sorry, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have this. And you look at your fridge and you say, I have milk. No, I don't have milk. (laughs) I have water and maybe some juice. And you often will say, sorry, I only have water, or I only have milk, or I only have juice. And we preface what we have as a, as a gift for our, our guests, I only have. Have you ever stopped to think that Jesus Christ, in regards to our redemption and our forgiveness, has never, ever said, sorry, I only have forgiven you this much. He's never ever said that when jesus christ was on the cross the book of john chapter 19 verse number 30 jesus is on the cross he's he's experienced the rejection of god the father for the first time in all eternity he does not have that fellowship with god the father the sins of the world have been placed upon him and he has taken on the sins of the world and he's in the process of forgiving those sins and jesus says it is is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit and thank god that three days later he rose from the dead triumphantly and as we think about that you probably were like me as i read through that i I thought well i know that already and i even thought to myself do you know what we talk about jesus all the time in church should i this is the next part of the passage that we're going through. Should I just skip this part because we talk about it all the time? It's no surprise that Jesus loves you. 
It's no surprise that God created you with a plan and with a purpose. It's no surprise if you've been part of Southwest Baptist Church for a while that you've heard the fact that Jesus loves you and cares for you, died on the cross for your sins. He rose triumphantly from the, from the grave so that you and I can have a relationship with God for today and eternity in heaven. And we look at that and we go, oh, I know that already. The Apostle Paul reminded this church in Colossae as a foundation for everything else he was going to teach them in the future. If we don't have Jesus right, then we're heading down the wrong path. There was a man who passed away over 20 years ago named S.M. Lockridge. He was a pastor in San Diego, California for many years at a church called Calvary Baptist Church. He's an African-American man, and he had an eloquent tongue and a way of describing things that are exciting and beautiful. And in the 1970s, he famously preached a sermon. And then in that little snippet of it was a, a phrase called, That's my king. And I want you to read the words on the screen as it goes along, and I want you to personalize this. And go from saying, I know that already, to saying, that's my king. Stop and think for a moment, that's my king. What have you been reminded of today? And how will you live tomorrow differently as a result? Because you've been reminded that you've been rescued. You've been moved. You've been released and you've been forgiven. How different will your family be and your neighborhood be if we can begin to live this out in our daily lives? The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's in journalist form. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feet. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. 
His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe Him to you, but he, He's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get Him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah, he always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. And he'll have no successor. You can't even keep him and he's not going to resign. That's right.